Folks, this is our very special Thanksgiving edition, and I want to say to you, uh, Thanksgiving, more than any other time of the year, even more than Christmas and almost as much as Easter, um, Thanksgiving is a, a wonderful time of the year, and I would like to begin today by giving thanks for you. Um, I consider each of you an extended member of my family. Margie and I have been so touched by the many kind words that you guys have shared over the years, uh, your successes. Your, we've we've um, thrilled with your successes. We've cried with um, your defeats, challenges, and we just want to say thank you. Um, we are thankful for you and the fact many of you have been with me for, wow, pushing 30 years now. And I am so proud and so thankful for each one of you. And I wish uh, tremendous success as we go into what I believe is going to be a very prosperous year. Um are there things we should change? Of course there are, but that's always going to be the case. Um, don't worry about that. Worry about the big things. Um, and the good news is the big things, I believe, are pointed in the right direction. And uh, I believe there's tremendous opportunity, as we're going to see today in the real estate coffee break. So I invite you to. Uh, Get another cup of coffee um, and relax and have some fun. And we're going to go forward from here. If I can figure out where the slides are. Hold on. Well, I can't. <laughs> I'll try to share this and see what happens. That didn't work at all. Well, here's what I'm trying to share with you. Let's see what happens now if I go into stop share and then start share. Should I reclaim host? Yes. Well, it's confusing when you are me. That's a good idea. Here we go. We're getting there, folks. Participants are now able to see your application. So they are. Well, I am delighted to have you guys with us. And it's uh, we're just a couple of minutes late getting started. But you know what? On Thanksgiving, everyone is late getting started. So it, it, that's not a problem. Uh, we've been through that music and that music, and we've done that music. So it's time now to do this. God gave you 100,000 watts of power, but it's up to you to put them to work. This is the John Adams Radio Show.
Coming to you live from high atop the EMR Tower in beautiful downtown Decatur, Georgia, center of the known universe. Thence, 23,300 miles directly into outer space this week, affiliates SATCOM 5. Thence rebroadcast all across the fluted plane to our vast EMR radio network. This week, 331 stations plus. The island of Guam. Speaking directly into the golden EMR microphone, this is Excellence in Money Radio. And we are glad to have you along on this special edition of the Real Estate Coffee Break. I remain unbossed and unbought. Speaking truth to power and committed to truth, justice, and the American way of making money. And uh, let not your heart be troubled. It is the uh, two days after Thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but we had a disaster. Uh, I burned up the turkey in the primo. Um, the fire went out. Margie had to throw the thing in the oven, and the back end got burnt, and the front end was still cold. And anyway, uh, you're not going to believe this. It came out the best turkey we've ever done unbelievably moist tender and 49 cents a pound uh we have defeated inflation whip inflation now i just came up with that myself and we're going to have buttons printed that say whip inflation now or win buttons um and the way that you can whip inflation is to buy a house and do so quickly. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Special thank you to our sponsors. Quote of the week is from Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence. I hold it that a little rebellion now and then is a good thing and as necessary in the political world as storms in the physical. Now, that doesn't mean um, uh, go out and and do bad things to your neighbor. What it means is do not consent to the government uh, trying to take over your life, unless that's what you want to do. And every American has a responsibility. I think you should exercise that in terms of voting. And I think every American should vote early and often. Wait a minute, that's not right. You should vote early and once. Um, and I'm a big believer in the power of democracy and the, the electorate is not easily fooled. So, and I know we could go on and on with that, but we're also sponsored today by home meteorite shield, 
Protect your home against deadly meteorite strikes. It's only $14.95 a month. What a wonderful gift for every member of your family. Look, here's an actual photo from NASA of what might happen if a meteorite hit the home, uh, your home or the home of a loved one. And I am proud to announce we just completed a um, clinical trial. <coughs> Excuse me. And the summary is this, um, that the risk of a comet hitting the Earth is greater than previously thought. And um, they're just things that can rain down debris for thousands of years. Here's another actual photo. And... The study revealed that had Ann Hodges of Sylacauga, Alabama, had home meteorite shield, we would have worked with her to uh, repair the damage and to uh, help her regain a normal life. Now, she actually sold that meteorite for $122 million to somebody. It's radioactive, I think, but that's beside the point. Um, you can see now how well home meteorite shield is working uh, in that we have not had very many uh, meteorites strike houses recently. And that's because most people have the insurance. And that's what I think you should have. Here's an actual NASA photo showing an artist's depiction of what it would look like uh, if a meteorite struck your home or the home of a loved one. What are your loved ones worth? Okay, just uh, it's only $14.95. It's called Home Meteorite Shield, and you can protect your home against deadly meteorite strikes. And if you'd like to sign up, call 404 373 or make your checks payable to Americans for Democratic Action in Modern Society. That's just for short, A-D-A-M-S, and send it to me here at the... Uh, um, EMR network. So, so much for that. We also like to thank Peter Burke, who is our gold sponsor today. Peter can be reached as always at 678-557-9759 with Reliant Mortgage Solutions. Hey, I want you to stay tuned today um, because Peter is going to highlight a couple of programs and we're just going to spend a, a short time, but this is going to open the door for a look at some programs that Peter has that will provide you with down payment assistance. Now, it's not right for everybody. And yes, as is typical of these programs, there are a lot of, you know, little, uh, you got to do this, you got to do that. But that's why we work with Peter, because he knows these things. And so stay tuned a little later. We are going to be looking at um, some down payment assistance programs. I'm going to ask Peter for a quick market update. Uh, I do think it was um, a wise decision to uh, reappoint uh, Jerome Powell to the Federal Reserve. He's uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve Bank, um, and he has been a stable hand. Uh, he is recognizing that inflation is a, a concern, and it is. <clears throat> so we know more about it now. But we'll talk with Peter about that when we get there. In the meantime, just please stay with us. 
until we get to Peter's segment, uh, because down payment assistance is a really uh, neat program, and you're going to want to know all about it. So the question is, who am I and why should you listen to me? Well, you already know that, or you wouldn't be here. I am an Eagle Scout. That makes me trustworthy. I would remind you to please turn off your phone and enter your questions or your comments in Q&A. And we're going to go 45 minutes, and uh, Ian will be joining me right around noon Eastern time. And wherever you are, it doesn't matter where here is as long as I'm here. And I am here. So uh, the recording will be available uh, either late this afternoon or tomorrow on realestatecoffeebreak.com. So please use Q&A, not chat, if chat is there. I don't know why chat continues to be there because I'd like to turn it off. So, um, and these are not our topics. So I'm going to go to, do, 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 let's all this, we got to get through this. I'm going to go to 37. There we go. And our quote this week comes from Warren Buffett. And he says, risk comes from not knowing what you're doing. And you know, that is so true. I look back on my career as a real estate investor. And as we got started, we didn't know what we were doing. And what I recommend to you guys today is to find someone that has done it and let them explain to you their program. And you should determine, is this a repeatable program that I could employ, that I see myself doing, and then achieving the success that this person has had? There's nothing magic about investing in real estate. Uh, but if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And most people that think they're doing it aren't doing it, or at least not doing it successfully. So my question to you today is, do you know what you're doing? And if not, you are taking on more risk than you need to. Um, and the deal of the week is not a printer. So, so much for that. Um, Let's see. I would like to, at this point, dive into, um, I'm going to share the screen here. Hmm. Well, this is certainly confusing. See, if I go here, well, that's where we are. see what happens. Aha! Here we go. Here we go. First, I want to mention, it came out this week, and here you can see this, what happened at Zillow, how a prized real estate site lost at iBuying. And I thought this was, um, you know, we were led to believe that, oh, Zillow never makes a mistake. And look instead what has happened. This is one of the things I'll be talking with Ian about in the second hour, but I wanted you to see this article. This is from CNET, I think. Yeah, this is from CNET. And basically here's what it says. Zillow, the popular 
online real estate marketplace. I love this and daydream fuel throughout the pandemic. How many hundreds of millions of Americans, me included, went like every day to see what your house is worth <laughs> on Zillow? Well, the company turned heads earlier this month when it announced it would be shutting down Zillow offers the algorithm-fueled home flipping arm of the company. And it said it would try to offload more than 7,000 homes and exit the i-buying or instant buying business completely. Folks, that's 2.8 billion, billion dollars worth of homes. Now I realize since we have been paying attention to Washington lately and we spend most of our um, uh, days talking in trillions, ta 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 trillions of dollars. A billion doesn't sound like much, but let me tell you, it is, especially for a company like Zillow. The announcement came as a major surprise, especially given the scale of Zillow's massive investments in its iBuying efforts in recent years. Now, watch this, watch this. Its exit was precipitated by a series of missteps, including an overbuying fiasco that resulted in a glut of overpriced inventory. Now, here's what I want you to see. According to an insider analysis, more than half of the homes that Zillow owns are listed for prices below what the company paid for them. Oh, no, this is not what you're supposed to do when you invest in real estate. So we'll come back and talk about that. But I want you to know, um, when you hear people talking about Zillow algorithms, or how did you come up with the value of this property? Oh, we have algorithms that do that. Well, the algorithms have failed. And I'm here, to, and I always said I didn't trust Zillow. And, and this Zestimate, they've never seen the house. They're using bad data. And when that's the case, you need to be aware of it. And you need to learn how to estimate value yourself. Because ultimately, you are the only person upon which you can rely. Sorry. In Phoenix, 93% of the homes Zillow purchased are listed for less than the original purchase price. Okay. So using specific data, the home's age, condition, and zip code, algorithms can predict which homes will rise in value. Think of it like large-scale automated home flipping. Well, let me tell you something. It didn't work. I'm not saying it can't work, but I'm telling you, um, Zillow relied on these computer calculations to buy houses in decent condition on the cheap, spend minimal capital fixing them up, and quickly resell for a profit. It was too good to be true. And Zillow attributed the mishap to its technology, blaming 
It's eye-buying algorithms called Zestimates for inaccurately predicting values of homes. It is particularly bad in Georgia. And I just want you to be aware of that. We'll talk at length about this in the second hour. I also would like to get your pencil out, please, because um, you are going to be invited this next week to consider coming with me and Margie on the Real Estate Marketers Cruise. Now, it's write these dates down because I'm going to be sending you a video this week inviting you personally. But we've got 450 people that typically come, and I'd like you to be one of them. Uh, Dr. Steve Permar and his lovely wife, Huh? Perlo. Perlo. Dr. Steve Perlo. Permar. Where's my brain today? I'm still in a turkey freeze. What a delicious turkey that was. Marge, good job. Um, but um, Perlo, Dr. Steve Perlo and his beautiful wife joined us again this year on the Real Estate Marketers Cruise. Um, we just got back. And let me tell you, our experience on Carnival was excellent. It is the best vacation value anywhere, in my opinion. And we didn't even get off the ship at the various ports. Um, there's lots to do on the ship if you want to, but we like to also just look at the ocean, just go find a place on the ship and, and get an adult beverage or a a Coke or something, and just stare at the beautiful blue water. And it changes your perspective. And we'll be having uh, Captain Lou Edwards is going to be joining us in the next month or so to talk with us about what some of the cruise features are. But look, we've already got 243 of our staterooms have been booked. And we got a total of 450. It's the 16th annual Real Estate Marketers Cruise. And it's going to be Saturday, January 28th, not of this coming year. That's 2022. I'm talking about a year from this January. You're saying, John, that's a long way away. Sure it is. But on a cruise like this, you've got to decide way ahead of time. Otherwise, there's no space left. And uh, we're going to be going to San Juan, St. Thomas, St. Martin, and a beautiful place called Amber Cove in the Dominican Republic. I said we didn't get off, but you don't need to get off to see how beautiful Amber Cove is. And there's lots to do. Uh, around this beautiful Amber Cove. It's amazing. I mean, there's just, it's, it's beautiful. And this is not a typical seminar event. It's not a pitch fest filled with speakers, offers, or overload. It's your warm invitation to join hundreds of people from all over the world who use internet as marketing as we share with each other what strategies work and what strategies don't. 
and we have great food and we have great fun and it is a super bargain. So if you are interested, um, I recommend the Balcony Ocean View Stateroom. That means you've got a balcony. It's $14.98 per person. And that includes all of your tax tag title and dealer prep. Um, it includes all of the port charges, the government taxes, the event fees. And then the only thing that's added is up to you, and that is gratuities. And Carnival recommends, and I always accept their recommendation of $13.99 per person per day. Margie, did we feel taken care of? Very. We had a guy, what was his name? Oh, watch my, oh, okay. Half past. Well, anyway, this is going to be fun. I have not sprung this on Peter Burke yet, but he's probably going to be coming with us. And um, we're going to have our own educational sessions in addition to all of the other educational sessions. I mean, it's, it, it's just a fabulous time of friends getting together. And um, the Grand Suites are already sold out. Um, but this right here, this is um, the cabin that I always get, Margin and I always get. And you can go out here and sit down. And it's just beautiful. And it's air conditioned in here. <clears throat> so anyway, so much for that. Um, I just bring that to your attention. Real quickly, I do want to, um, uh, Margie, see if you can find Peter for me. Because I think I'm going to, um, well, that's not working. Hmm. Hmm. Ah, here we go. Have you got Peter for us? All right, she's working on it, folks. Um, but what I wanted uh, Peter to share with us um, is to talk with us a little bit about a program he has. And you should write down his phone number, 678-557-9759. Because and we're um, these are down payment assistant program, uh, assistance programs that are available for home buyers through Reliant Mortgage Solutions. Hello, Peter. How are you, sir? Good morning, everybody. Good morning, John and Margie. Happy two days after Thanksgiving. I caught up on about two years of sleep on the day after Thanksgiving. I think I slept 12 hours. <laughs> That's a good thing to do. That's what Margie said. Um, did you hear me talking about the real estate marketers cruise that you're coming on? Yeah, that sounded kind of interesting. I was intrigued by it. Well, we had we have been, Peter, eight years. We did not go last year because it's this is the 16th year coming up. Last year it was canceled because of the pandemic. And one year. Uh, I think four or five years ago, my mom got real sick and I was actually afraid to leave town. So we didn't go that time, but we've been, I think eight times and we now have these friends all over the world 
just sort of interesting, but it's just people who are involved in marketing, sharing ideas about how to use the internet with one another, and nobody's trying to sell you anything. Um, so we'll talk about that later. But I, I am very interested in this down payment assistance program that is now available for home buyers through Reliant Mortgage Solutions. You've got two that we're going to touch on today. The first one is an Indian word, I think. Yes, yes. Chinoa. 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 Chinoa is a um, tribal program that has always had, an, to me, a, an interesting background. It was established through the U.S. government, I guess, as a way to, um, I don't know, compensate uh, uh, Indian tribal... Nope, what, what, what? Native American, Native American, peoples. excuse me, indigenous peoples. And it's, um, you know, everyone says down payment assistance. These two in particular, I like to say it gives you a hundred percent financing. Down payment assistance believes you're given money and you don't have to pay it back, but in reality. These are second mortgages, which in most instances are repayable under certain scenarios. But the reality is it's opening the doors for home buyers who don't have enough for that down payment and their closing costs. It's bridging the gap, so to speak. And what I like about these, unlike other um, down payment assistance, we're going back to that word, other down payment assistance programs, they're usually tied to income. And we find that the income is so narrowly defined that it's hard to work within that because you're going to exceed those guidelines and then be deemed um, you don't qualify. With both of these, the income limits are so high that um, it would be rare that you don't qualify for it. And they're wow. forgiving in that regard. So they're, um, they're, 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 they're more open to more folks who okay. need those funds. All right. Well, there's two of them that we're just going to touch on today. There's Chenoa. Right. And National Home Buyer Fund. Um, and Margie prepared some slides for us here. What is DPA and how is it used? So I'm going to let you walk us through the slide, please. Well, um, as I said, it's for credit worthy borrowers. Um, it, um, you don't have to have stellar credit scores. You can have scores where your middle score is in the 620 range and above. And it's providing, it's taking a conventional loan or an FHA loan, which only gives you 95 to 97% financing. And it's loaning you that remaining three to 5% as a second mortgage. Um, it's not covering 
all of your costs of a purchase, there are still closing costs. And um, presumably you will have those funds or maybe you'll have a gift from a family member. So the combination of the first and second mortgage financing is enough to purchase the property. And the presumption is you'll be able to provide the remainder. Peter, let me ask you a question and see if you agree. I read somewhere that the number one barrier for first-time home buyers is getting the down payment together. Is, is that what you see? Yeah, I think that's clearly what the issue is. Uh, you see a lot of folks that have just the down payment, but they won't have enough for the closing costs. This is a, a, a way to uh, address the, the need to, um, to um, uh, uh, purchase that property and get financing for it. In effect, it's 100% financing. We have people listening to this program who are trying to encourage young people that they know to get into the housing market, uh, maybe young relatives, maybe buying their first home. And um, I, I thought it was interesting because you said there can be gifts from family members. I remember when gifts were really sort of taboo. Um, that was a number of years ago, but how does that work now? Obviously there has to be no promise of repayment. I mean, it can't be like a formal, it has to be a gift, right? You, you just said it, it has to be a gift. The donor has to sign a letter that it is a gift and um, the donor has to show that they have the funds to donate to that person. Not a lot of red tape. It's um, uh, a fairly simple and straightforward process. What a, what a tremendous way to help either a young person or a young couple, you know, cross that, that bridge. Uh, you and I have talked before about the difference in um, net worth of people that rent, which is about $6,000 per household, and people that own their home, which is about $260,000. Right. And, and how home ownership really, I mean, you can call it forced savings, you can call it whatever you want, but the reality is at the end of the day, it tends to be a very powerful wealth creation tool as well as a place to live, right? Correct, correct. And, you know, I always like um, interesting little um, opportunities and loan programs that um, I encourage folks to capitalize on. One of these two, I don't remember whether it was Chinoa or, or the uh, National Homebuyer Fund, one of them allowed duplexes, um, typically down payment assistance it has to be a single family or a condo. But the fact that one of them allowed you to buy a duplex was very intriguing for the whole concept of, hey, this is an opportunity to provide shelter and create wealth at the same time. And I know if I was starting off again, buying my first home, um, I would at least look at that and see if it made sense for me as to buy a duplex. Part two I, I, of this 
is um, unlike some programs that limit the purchase price, there's maximum purchase prices. With these programs, um, you're limited by the conforming or FHA loan amounts, which for lack of a better word, you're not gonna run into a price problem where you have to stay at 200,000. You could be between 350, 400,000 and qualify and, and get the get the down payment assistance. Well, there are certainly duplexes out there. And I, I love the idea of a duplex because it gets you in to the, the, the I hate to say the word game of investing in real estate, but it exposes you to the responsibilities and the requirements and, and what you have to do to be a real estate investor. And yet you also get a place to live. Correct. It's a pretty good deal there. So this would be ideal then for a, a, a qualified home buyer. Although you said credit score, middle score around 620 minimum. That's pretty low, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I don't like to label things. It's on the low side, but yes, yes. But hey, um, you can otherwise qualify with a 620. Folks that have 620s, maybe they don't have a long credit history. Yeah. Or maybe they have a, um, gosh forbid, a medical collection that's old that has kind of twisted things up. Um, uh, so there can be reasons why you have a 620. So, um, um, and, and still be considered um, credit qualified. Well, I just, it, it, this sounds like these programs can be used in specific ways to give hope of home buying to some folks who may not have seen that as an opportunity before. I'm not trying to uh, summarize it. You know, these programs have various steps and requirements. We understand that, but that's why we should give you a ring and let you examine our situation and say, Hey, this might be something that would work for you. Correct. And, and that's, you know, that's great. Um, so I, I, again, I want to um, back up and, and give a reminder to folks that have a family member or themselves this is a process you want to start um, early on in your search and get qualified um, and have a loan commitment um, standby before you start the search. This is not something where you went out on a Saturday, found a property, and you want to use um, these types of programs and close in 30 days. This is a process where you should start 30 days before you start looking for homes, 45 days, and follow the steps, um, get your ducks in a row, so to speak, and work with the lender that will get you a commitment without a property already identified so you're not scaring off sellers that you're using this. That's great, um, great advice. And uh, the interesting thing is that my research indicates, I keep hearing people saying, when is the housing market going to crash? When is it going to crash? 
And Peter, I just, I mean, anything can happen and my crystal ball is cloudy, but I, this is such a different market from 2008 and 2009 that most of, of the prognosticators, and I use that term uh, lovingly, um, are saying that they don't see a major, any, any type of crash on the horizon. Um, you talk to people every day who are closer to the lending game than I am. What are you hearing? It's, it's for someone buying a home, it's still the issue of I have to over, I, my offer has to be greater than the list price, the, the listing price. Um, for the most part, it's still rare to see someone getting a pro, and that's my own little world, offering less than list price and and uh, getting the property, unless it's a very motivated seller. Well, it I, I you're exactly right. Uh, I closed on a house that I financed with you twenty years ago. Um a week ago, and we listed it for three thirty, dollars which I thought was $30,000 too high, and sold it all cash, three forty-five. dollars Yeah. Good so, for you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's just, that's the reality in today's market, and it's just real interesting, but um, can, uh, with, with these Two programs. And We've got Chenoa. We have the National Home Buyer Fund. Obviously, there are some differences there. Can folks get hold of you and just say, hey, is there any possibility this might work for me or for a loved one? Um, can they reach you at 678-557-9759? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, this is, I think, a perfect example, Peter, of a program that most lenders would say, I've never heard of that. Or if they'd heard of it, they'd never done it. And they don't understand the, the procedures and the rules and the regulations. And that the devil is in the details in these things. I know because that's the truth. That's that the is truth. the truth. And, and sometimes I think you've got the devil working with you to get these details worked yeah. out. But you do a great job and uh, God bless. And we're thankful um, for Reliant Mortgage Solutions. And we are thankful for you, Peter. Thank you. Hey, uh, quick uh, note, um, bad news in uh, coronavirus, the other variant, uh, Omicron, it um, adversely affected the stock market yesterday, down 900 to 1,000 points. That's always good for the bond market. And uh, we saw a substantial improvement in interest rates yesterday. I if didn't. you were on the fence and you saw rates edge up the last few weeks and you pulled back, go back to your lender and um, see if there's been an improvement because there was one yesterday. Well, I can tell you what would happen if you go back to your lender and it's not Peter Burke, you're going to call them and they're going to say, well, we're already pretty much locked in there. A lock is a lock is a lock. I know. I, I know. I know. All I'm saying is uh, there is a reason that week after week, I keep getting calls from folks who 
listen to this show and part of our um, real estate coffee break family. And they say, Hey, thanks for recommending Peter because he and his staff really went the extra mile for us. And we appreciate it. And we are thankful for your support and uh, for helping out and being part of our family. Well, thank you. And thank you, everybody else out there. All right, Peter, see you soon. And put down those dates on your calendar for 2023. I'll put it on there now. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. All right. It is now 10 minutes to 12. And what we're going to do is um, we are going to take an early. Well, I'll tell you what, we've got 10 minutes and that's plenty of time for me to share with you what I would like to share with you. So let me uh, talk with you for just a second. Um, and then we'll, we'll take our break. Um, I thought it was very interesting when Peter said that there was a sell-off in the stock market, which, I mean, these things happen from time to time. Those of you that are invested in stocks, I hope you didn't rush out and sell. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. You, you, uh, Warren Buffett said, if you're not planning on holding a stock for 10 years, you shouldn't even consider buying it. And I feel the same way about real estate. If you're not planning on holding that real estate, I mean, yes, there's a place for flipping. I understand that. But it comes at a higher risk than long-term investing. So we get back to the issue of what risk, what is the level of risk with which you are comfortable? And for me, it's almost a minimum. I just, I really don't like a lot of risk. And to me, having that risk under control leads toward financial freedom. So um, today, what I want to talk about is when will the housing crash occur? And like I said with Peter just a a moment ago, uh, there are a number of reasons that the market, I don't believe, is going to crash in 2022. Now, you can find, and by the way, if you will go to Google, type in housing crash 2022, and then click on news. You may not click on news much very often, but if you do, you'll see that there are lots of people who have, have new books called How to Prosper During the Coming Housing Crash and in fact, just my mention of that, Tito has started crying in the other room because he's worried about the housing crash. Isn't that right, Marge? That's right. That's right. So let me give you five reasons, and you don't need to debate this with your stock market friends. Um, I, I don't invest in things I don't understand, and I don't understand the New York Stock Exchange. I don't understand what makes it go up, what makes it go down. Um, it, it's, uh, that's just me. I understand real estate and it ain't perfect, but it's pretty good. And it's stacked in your favor if you do it right. So let's talk about why the housing market is not going to crash next year. There are five reasons. Let's dive into each one of these 
for about a minute, and then we'll take our break and come back with Ian uh, Robbins, my evil twin. And he and I are going to crucify, I mean, we'll discuss Zillow. Okay, lending standards are stricter. Yes, that's true. Low-risk mortgages are the norm. Very interesting. Homeowners have plenty of equity. That's true. The job market is strong. Holy mackerel. We've got jobs coming out the, 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 the wazoo. They can't hire enough people. And then struggling homeowners have more options than they did in 2008, 2009. Do you remember those states? Well, let's talk about it. We'll go right through. Lending standards are stricter. And back then, back in the day, what does that mean, back in the day? In days of yore, 2008, I could have gotten a loan, a 30-year fixed rate loan for my dog, Tito. Had we gotten Ranger in 2008? I don't remember. Anyway, I could have gotten my dog a 30-year fixed rate mortgage because he was employed as a house guard and he had just started. But back then, any form of employment was enough to get you approved. There were very loose lending practices. Congress was pushing loose lending in an effort to help more people become homeowners. So mortgage lenders were not very strict about who they'd give money to, and they were often lending too much to those who could not afford it. Okay. And today it's not so easy to get a loan. You got to have a higher credit score. Although I really liked what we just heard about the Chenoa uh, program, which is down payment assistance, but Generally speaking, lenders, I think, are better at evaluating a borrower's ability to pay than they were in 2008. I don't know if that's computers. I don't know if it's experience. I do know that there's not as much congressional meddling going on. So <clears throat> people don't get into trouble as easily if they can't get qualified. And existing homeowners are better able to afford their to afford their loans and less likely to default than in years past. Think 2008 to 2012. Number two, low risk mortgages are the norm. Have you <clears throat> paid attention to Peter when he talks about what a high percentage of borrowers today are getting 15-year fixed-rate mortgages. Why? One, the interest rate is fabulous. And two, they are considered a low-risk mortgage. The percentage of 30 and particularly 15-year fixed-rate mortgages that go into default is very, very, very low compared to the risky adjustable rate products, which can be quite dangerous. A 30-year fixed rate loan is 
considered normal today, although a lot of people are jumping on 15s. It's certainly manageable for consumer budgets, and it allows you to look ahead and say, my payments are always going to be this. In contrast, adjustable rate mortgages, were they could change every year in most cases. Um, in July of this year, adjustable rate loans accounted for just 1% of all mortgages. 30-year fixed rate, on the other hand, made up 75%. So these are much lower risk. Number three, homeowners have plenty of equity. Remember that home prices in the last 12 to 18 months have gone up 25% on average. All of a sudden, you've got a lot of equity. You're sitting on equity. Equity is the difference between what you owe and what it's worth. And if you have no equity, then you're at risk because you can't sell. I mean, you can sell, but you can't afford to pay a commission. And uh, all of a sudden, um, when prices are declining, Homeowners that have very little equity become upside down in their mortgage. Now, you've heard that before. What does it mean? It means that the mortgage balance is higher than the value of the property. And because a lot of people bought a lot of houses with almost nothing down, their equity stake was like this to begin with. And then when values dropped, it put them upside down in the mortgage. Why did values drop? It's because at that time, lenders had no alternative to foreclosure. It had always worked for them in the past. Just threaten to foreclose and people will pay up. And if they don't, then you foreclose. Well, that didn't work this time because the lenders had never seen a volume of foreclosures like this. They weren't prepared to handle it. And those properties rotted. People broke in and stole the plumbing, the copper plumbing out of the walls. They stole the copper wiring out of the walls. And if you had a house like that next to you, your home lost value. Fortunately, we have seen some steady appreciation over the last decade, especially in this last couple of years. And I believe in the next year, we're going to have good appreciation. I'm predicting 15% in the next 12 months. Number four, job losses are not comparable. Now this is very interesting. Listen to this. In 2008, a lot of the job losses were in the financial sector. Do you remember all the banks that went belly up or came very close to going belly up and they were firing tens of thousands of people and, um, what was it? What was the name of that institution that was the bank reinsurer that nearly went on? I don't remember. But the financial sector was going through some real, real difficult times um, after 9-11 and after um, the computer bubble popped and uh, this, that, and the other. And 
the majority of these people that lost their jobs in the financial sector, they owned homes. Some of them owned a number of homes. So when they lost their jobs, they had little money down on those homes. In the first place, we saw a flood of homes enter into the market. Now, there were foreclosures, there were short sales, there was a glut of inventory that sent home prices plummeting. In contrast, what are we seeing today? There's no inventory. We don't have enough houses. The big problem in 2008 was too much inventory. Now we have too little inventory and supply and demand is at work. And right now we have a short supply, we have a huge demand, and prices are going to go up. So um, the situation is quite different, fundamentally different than it was 12, 13 years ago. And finally, finally, and I use this finally because this is five of five, and finally because it's about daggone time that the mortgage industry got around to figuring this out, we now have widespread forbearance options. In 2008, if you missed a payment, they'd send you a letter and tell you they were going to foreclose, and it didn't bother them. If you called and said, can we work something out? They'd say, hell no. They, they weren't used to working with people. They'd never had to do this before. And you'd call them, Margie, do you remember that? We'd call these lenders and say, can, can you, can, uh, is there a way we could work together to make this loan work? And they'd say, oh, I'll have to check. I'll get back to you. You'd never hear from them again. And you couldn't call them. They had to call you. And there was no way to communicate with these people. And you couldn't send them an email. It was a disaster because the lenders had never been through a situation like this before. In contrast today, there are a number of government mandated forbearance options available for the very few people who are upside down in their mortgages. And there are some. You know, when we say home values went up 24% in the last 12 to 18 months, that's not everywhere. That's a median, okay? So some did, some didn't. Some went up more than 24%. Some didn't go up at all, although I haven't found those yet. But anyway, um, the government, with, with this pandemic, the government acted fast, instituting a national forbearance program that allows most borrowers to hit a pause on their mortgage payments. And as we come off of forbearance, and borrowers are in huge numbers, they have options before them. In other words, the bank can't say, okay, you've got to pay me the 18 months you missed. You have to pay all of that right now. Most lenders are required to offer you the option of adding those back payments to the end of your mortgage, of picking up where you left off, of getting started again. And this not only gives these homeowners a financial break, but it also lets 
a lot of people save cash while they wait for the economy to recover or their jobs to come back. And the reality is a lot of people, both renters and homeowners, have been stockpiling cash while not having to make payments. Who got screwed? The landlords. Nobody cares. So those are the five reasons. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, I'll be joined by my evil twin, Ian Robbins. We're going to talk about what happened to Zillow and why it should matter to you. All right, we are back. This is from the Rogers and Hammerstein edition of South Pacific. Great motion picture if you've never seen it. Um, and uh, one of my all-time favorites. But then I am a Rogers and Hammerstein fan. I just, Richard Rogers was a great composer. Oscar Hammerstein, one of the greatest lyricists, certainly of the last century and um, beyond then. So what a team. There we go. And as uh, Ian Robbins joins me, we're going to have to listen to Happy Talk. you got to have a dream. If you don't have a dream, how you gonna have a dream come true? So you got to have a dream, Ian. Talk about the All right, Ian, what's your dream? In the sky. My dream is to be able to take care of my family in a good way, and you're teaching us how to do it, John. Thank you. Well, I'll tell you what, I wanted to begin this hour by saying to you and saying publicly that I'm so thankful to you. You have been so supportive of this program and of the work that we do. Um, you have done a yeoman's job at the Georgia and with the landlord subgroup that you've given to tirelessly. Um, and and then to step up and, and help me out on this program. Um, as you know, there's a lot of, as, as, as disorganized as it seems, <laughs> and it is disorganized, uh, we, doing we have job. a lot of fun. And the, it's not quite the same, um, here we go, not quite the same pressure uh, <laughs> of being on a live radio station. But nonetheless, there's a lot of work that goes into it. You and I often communicate a number of times during the week. And I appreciate your commitment and your involvement and your willingness to, to do this. One of the things, speaking of communications, you brought to my attention this week, and I would like to just jump right on it. Um, the situation with Zillow. And I just found it fascinating because how many, whoops, there we go. How many times have you heard, wow, 
my home is worth all of this because um, Zillow says so. Well, I'm sorry. It didn't quite work out, did it? And No, it didn't. Um, in a nutshell, I know you've studied this, um, and you shared this article with me from, uh, this one has seen that, but you had one also, I think, from the um, Phoenix business paper. Um, it, very interesting. What is your assessment of why Zillow, their iBuying program, which was extremely aggressive, why it has now fizzled out. John, I think it's what you taught us a couple of weeks ago. You, you talked about, I can't remember the exact term, exorbitance, where um, people get a little too excited about what's happening in the market and they over, in this case, overbuy. Yeah, you know, the, the word that I used was irrational exuberance. And I think I borrowed that Rarely do I give credit where credit is due when I can think I can keep it myself. But <laughs> irrational exuberance came from a Federal Reserve chairman whose name I do not remember uh, when he was talking about excessive real estate prices. And <laughs> irrational exuberance is certainly one of the things that are out there. But the thing that drives me crazy about Zillow, and I'd like your thoughts on it, are settle on specifically the Zestimate. And so many, you know, it is so, uh, I, this article I loved, let me get to it here. There we go. I'm going to share my screen here for a second. Um, I love this where it said, Zillow, the popular online real estate marketplace and daydream fuel throughout <laughs> the pandemic <laughs> and it right. is like it is like daydream fuel isn't it yep i mean it who doesn't like to go to zillow and see how much your house might be worth and it is like I, i've never had cocaine but <laughs> i've had reese's peanut butter cups i don't know if i don't think anything can be better than a Reese's peanut butter cup. But if I, I, I people say cocaine is really good, I, I, I have had to cut back on my Reese's peanut butter cup consumption, Ian, because I can't control myself. But, but you know, John, I, I think that there, there is a euphoria in a lot of markets. I will tell you that I, because I'm a runner, I get a runner's high. And I also get a lot of thinking done because of just great, great uh, things happening in the body when, when you run and any type of exercise, I think many people would agree. But I think, John, with Zillow and, and many technology people listening to me can correct me, but ultimately a, a website like Zillow and others are robots that are just gathering information through the internet and putting it all together. They have no idea what, it's just, zeros and ones ultimately right and so they're right. just getting together and there's bound to be mistakes at that volume and i was thinking about what could zillow have done to get it right maybe i'll get ahead of myself but they overcommitted. we know that you covered that really well last hour and they overcommitted to what they were doing 
would it have been smarter or many, many businesses and even the big ones, not the small ones, but even big ones will do a pilot program and say, we're going to do this type of buying in just a few areas, not the whole country. And if they see they're losing money, they won't lose as much money. It could have been done differently. And I think that also gives me quite honestly a lot of hope because we tend to, I tend to put a lot of faith in CEOs or the CFOs or they know what they're doing and they do and they give them the highest respect. But somebody at the executive levels at Zillow with a big C title made a mistake. I agree. I, you know, one of the things that I used to talk about um, with Dr. Gene Hensler, and um, this is back when I was at the ex-wife, WGST, and Dr. Gene would talk about stocks, and one of the great benefits of buying, let's say, Coca-Cola uh, or General Motors or, you know, any of the, the great corporations is that you are getting world-class management and i buy that i mean i don't buy stocks i buy that theory that one thing you're investing in is the experience and the knowledge and the brilliance if you will of people at the top in these organizations without you don't i own a few shares of coca-cola they're not, Ian, they're not going to call me and ask if they should come out with a new formula. That's, that's not my decision, okay? And that's why it is a hands-off investment. And I think Wall Street has in the last 15 to 20 years shown that they believe you can securitize anything that Wall Street can do it better than anyone. And we saw that there were a lot of problems at BlackRock. I'm not familiar with how things are going at Invitation Homes, which owns 12,800 homes in Atlanta alone, Metro Atlanta. Um, but this idea that Wall Street, we can figure this out and we can do it better than it's ever been done. And what that takes out of this equation, Ian, is the human analysis of a property in relation to its immediate neighborhood, in relation to its broader community, and in relation to the metro area that it is in. And I would suggest to you that this was predictable. Um, because as you're right, it's all zeros and ones. And I, I, I'm sure the algorithms are wonderful, but the algorithms are no better than the information fed into them. And a house that, that I was involved with recently in a sale, the county records said it had 1,800 feet. Um, the buyer, after their inspection period, went over and, oh, the yeah, it came, I don't know why they got it. Uh, they called up and said, well, this house only has 1,400 feet. And our response was, you had a due diligence period. You 
had every right to have it appraised. You had a right to have it measured. You chose not to do that, and you waived your inspection period, your due diligence period, and they had to buy the property anyway. My point here is that it's not unusual for the county records to be at odds with reality, and when that happens, Zillow is at a tremendous disadvantage because they are relying on information that is simply wrong. What say you, sir? Well, John, I got a couple of things. And the first thing is exactly if you're getting inaccurate information, garbage in, garbage out, right? That's what we learned a long time ago in computer world. That's but, right. Uh, I do have a broker question for you because so you mentioned square feet. And the audience, I think, might benefit from this. But one thing I read one time was if somebody asked me what's the square footage of a house, I actually tell them I don't know. And that's because I don't know. And also, I haven't measured it. It might be wrong. And I don't want to give them a, a number that could be found to be inaccurate. Is it true in the broker world that they really don't want you quoting exact square footage? Here's, here's what happened, and this occurred during my career as a residential broker, so I'm quite familiar with it. Um, there was a landmark lawsuit in about, I'm just estimating here, but late 80s, maybe, where a broker had put in the listing agreement 2,000 square feet, and it didn't say approximately. It didn't say as reported by Cobb County. It didn't say um, estimated. It just said 2,000 square feet. And the buyer bought the property and then sued and got a huge judgment against the broker, not the seller, but the broker because there was a substantial misrepresentation. Now, as a result of that, both multiple listing services, and in Atlanta, we have two big ones. There's FMLS, first multiple, and there's Georgia MLS. First multiple is a privately owned company, extremely profitable, owned by a few of the big, big brokers, okay? Uh, Georgia MLS is a nonprofit that is run by the DeKalb Association of Realtors, and it is by realtors for realtors. And, and so they both, they come at things a little bit differently, but essentially they're the same. Both of those ordered after that lawsuit, their counsels, their attorneys said no more quotes of square footage, nothing, because we can't take on that liability anymore. This occurred in other parts of the country, and finally, there was a determination made that if you put a number in and said where it came from, and then put in the contract that you weren't responsible for any representations other than what was in the contract itself, then you were no longer liable. And so what most multiple listing services did during that time, one of the things MLSs began offering was comprehensive um, uh, market analysis software. 
And most of that typically is drawn straight from county records. And so FMLS on this particular house that, that I just mentioned to you, um, it said that there was 1,800 square feet. And it says in the listing agreement in FMLS that square footage according to FMLS records. And then in the fine print, it says very clearly, this may be wrong. And so now um, the feeling in the industry is we're going to give you a number, but we're going to buffer it with a explanation of where we got it and we didn't measure it. And the reality, in my opinion, is the, the only way to protect yourself is either measure it yourself, which is not hard to do, or pay for an appraiser to measure it. And that way you'll know you've got somebody who is applying industry standards. They're using professional equipment. By the way, most appraisers today use these laser things that come within a hundredth of an inch. You know what I'm talking about. Uh, I still have one of the old cranks. <laughs> uh, Ian, I lived my life in the 1960s. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, if the contract has been rewritten, and you'll notice in the killer lease, it also says this, that the um, in the sales contract, it says purchaser has not relied upon any representations or promises or inducements to sale made by broker or seller. And that if any of these areas is of concern to purchaser, then purchaser has sought and obtained independent advice relative thereto, end quote. Excellent. And I think that's a great waiver or they're just really covering themselves, which they should. And I think it relates to Zillow because Zillow didn't read the fine print and just took it on faith what was put in the computer by somebody else. And here it says in this article, 2.8 billion worth of homes. That's a lot of, that's a lot of homes. <laughs> brilliant. I I, you know, we, uh, uh, Ian, you and I throw around the trillion word these days, and and it's so easy to get lost. I think I understand what a million is. A billion seems like an awful lot, and a trillion, I don't even have any idea what that is. But um, nonetheless, it is a lot of money. And as you know, um, Margie and I, for many, many years, have lived over near Emory. Most of the houses over here were built um, prior to World War II, a lot of them in the 20s, 30s, and early 40s. Our home was built in 1937. Um, I guess that was right during, well, I guess we were coming out of the Depression. I don't know. But the, the point here is a lot of those homes were built as two-bedroom, one-bath homes, and they also had stairs to an unfinished attic. Well, guess what? Half the people uh, in the Emory and Decatur areas over the years have finished those big rooms upstairs out into 
two nice bedrooms and put a nice bath right at the top of the stairs. So even though the, and you're not going to believe this, Ian, but sometimes those people forget to tell the county that they've done this. <laughs> really? I okay. can't imagine why, when you're so proud of having done a nice job like that, why you might forget to tell the, well, of course, they don't want their taxes to go up. And if, if DeKalb County thinks you have a two-bedroom, one-bath house and essentially a 1,000 square feet, and now you, in fact, have a um, four-bedroom, two-bath house with essentially 1,800 square feet, that is an entirely different category of house. But for all that Zillow knows, it's a two-bedroom, one-bath. Now, Absolutely. I know... Yeah, go ahead. And John, it's what you taught this audience many years ago. See houses, make offers. And Zillow wasn't, and actually I've heard because of what I do full-time as a mover, I've had people say, well, the Zillow person has called me. And I don't recall them saying that they actually came to the house. But even if they did, they might have five other appointments and really not spend a lot of time there and know what they're looking for. I think it was more of a phone call and it was all done by phone and email. And I think the, the, even, I th think the point is our audience and the landlord survival guide is current and also much more personal. And it brings it down to, this is a great example to say that what we're teaching in your courses is, is real. You got to get accurate information for you because they don't know what these houses are near. They could be near a garbage dump. It could be near a cemetery, which is not the worst thing. But it, there's, there's so many things that are not in, inside these computer programs. You know, the, the classic picture is a perfectly good little house. And then you back up and there's this gigantic high tension power line right beside the house. It's within the fall zone. I mean, who wants that? Yep. Um, the... It's interesting you mentioned that because I have a particularly high regard for SRA appraisers. These are um, senior residential appraisals, uh, appraisers. They've done thousands of them. They've um, had other appraisers check on their work. And they really do a remarkably good job. Even they say, this is my estimate of value on this particular day, on this particular property. And it's an estimate. And um, one of the things Zillow did that I think was just dangerous is that they said, we don't need to pay 500 bucks to Scott Murphy to go out there and spend an hour at the property. Why don't we hire John Adams, who has access to a lot of data, to just do a drive-by appraisal? Well, the answer was John Adams is not a licensed appraiser. Guess what? They got around that by coming up with a term called broker price opinion or BPO. And they would say to experienced agents, if you will do five BPOs for us today, all we ask is that you drive by the property, shoot some pictures from the street, and fill out a form, and we'll pay you 150 bucks a pop for them. And that's, that's, that was their um, uh, 
security valve, if you will. That was who was looking at the property. And you're right. In many cases, Ian, the people did not go to the property at all. How would you know? And I think, John, you're also right about mentioning the stock market. And I so much appreciate Peter Burke, what he said last hour. Sometimes Wall Street looks at it from a big picture, trying to, of course, make some money on it and just putting it all together as a group. And then if it sounds good and it's a good story, they can sell it to investors. Right. Not really understanding it. Going back to what Peter said the last hour, you know, I appreciate it. I don't know if you remember, but do you remember that first drop? It was in the 80s. And actually, Reagan really dates me, too. But Reagan got on um, the, the TV that night because it, the, the market had dropped like 500 points. And he came on and said, the fundamentals fundamentals of the stock market are, are fine. Pretty much, I have no idea what, it, what went down. So here yesterday, less than 24 hours ago, what a timely show we have here, John. Thank you to you and Marjorie. That within 24 hours, Peter Burke is talking about how it relates to the mortgage business. And also, here we are in a holiday season, and it's like, yeah, the stock market went down 500, 900 points. Past the cranberry sauce, the leftovers. I mean, I mean, it really did shake. I, people are not jumping out of their houses like they made it out to I, be. It. I have to. I have to admit that um, I have engaged in gluttony uh, on on our Thanksgiving turkey dinner. Margie made enough, Ian, for twenty people. <laughs> And there's just the two of us. And so I have been meal after meal after meal, reliving the Thanksgiving experience. And, and the funny thing was, um, we are here at Southern Command headquarters on beautiful St. Simon's Island, the crown jewel of Georgia's coastal empire. Did you notice how easily that rolls off the tongue? That's just. Absolutely. Yeah, Great we're job. down here. We went to Winn-Dixie, which used to be in Atlanta, but I don't think they, are there any Winn-Dixie stores in Atlanta? I don't believe so. I, I don't think so, but they were big. Anyway, um, I think they're out of Jacksonville. The, the, um, we have one here on the island, and their special was uh, Jenny O. Honeysuckle Turkeys. I don't know the difference between one turkey and another. Um, 49 cents a pound, Ian. Wow. Wow. And of course, we, it was limited to one per day. I think Margie and I went seven days in a row. <laughs> we've, we've got turkey for the next 10 years. <laughs> Excellent. Great deal. It is a great deal. I would like your uh, comment, please. You pointed out to me that Zillow had concentrated mostly on Southern cities. In other words, they weren't buying like in Chicago and Detroit and, and New York. The, the names that I've heard mentioned, and you may know more about this than I do, but I've heard Phoenix, I've heard Dallas, I've heard Atlanta, and I've heard Charlotte were primary uh, sort of target areas what does that tell you? 
I think they understand that those are growth areas and maybe they used a little part of their uh, thinking of that's where the appreciation that they're counting on would probably occur. Well, so, I think you're probably right. I, you know, these are areas that, as you say, are growth areas. They are experiencing job growth. And one of the great, great features about Atlanta, I always think of Atlanta as a, um, maybe a, a huge economic engine, too big, really, for any one human being to understand. Think about all of the economic activity that occurs. Six million people, two million households, maybe two and a half, and um, massive economic engine. And as long as we are creating jobs, people are moving to Atlanta in search of those jobs and they've got to have a place to live. And I this think Atlanta, is, John, I think Atlanta is somewhat of a melting pot of industries because uh, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but let's use it for an example. Detroit at one time was, was considered where car manufacturers are. I, I think with Atlanta, it's more diverse and there's a whole wide um section cross section of industries and that's one of the things that make atlanta great and then what you've also taught us is that there's no natural boundaries so there's actually room to grow that that is exactly right you know i to me and i was born and raised here when i think of atlanta the first thing i think of is transportation hub um because uh, arguably Atlanta, uh, Hartsfield-Jackson, is the busiest airport in the world. Um, and I think it sort of goes back and forth with Chicago O'Hare, you know, from time to time. But, but nonetheless, we're so fortunate to have Delta as, a, uh, as a, our hub airline, as our hometown airline. And um, Hartsfield-Jackson supplies a tremendous number of pretty good paying jobs. And it's interesting to me, there is a large contingent of people that live in Cobb County and pilots and so forth in expensive homes that drive down 285 and hop into an airplane and go to work. So um, the, we've got transportation. Financial is an area that is, is interesting because I think Atlanta to some extent has lost out to Charlotte in the financial arena. And I'm not sure why that is, but right. Margie is pointing out to me that for many years, the banking laws were governed by in Georgia, what was called the County unit system. And it was um, um, part of the rules of the Georgia legislature that was trying to punish Atlanta by having the counties be more important than the population. And the counties wow. said, we like our little local community bank. And we don't want CNS coming in and taking it over. We don't want Fulton National coming in. We don't want these big Atlanta banks. And so they 
during the 50s and 60s and 70s, they crippled the Georgia big banks. Meanwhile, North Carolina was going berserk, <laughs> growing Absolutely. these mega banks. So, but um, uh, well, John, the other, John, the others, have, go ahead. I've got a broker question for you with Zillow. I think our audience would appreciate. So I am guilty of going to Zillow and trying to come up with a estimate and maybe Redfin and uh, I don't know, there's maybe one or two more that I might go to. But my question is this, as a broker and you get a customer says, well, my house on Zillow is $480,000. John, why are you recommending 427? Now, at the same time, you also know that it could be bid up to four much higher. But as a conservative broker and doing your due diligence and doing the right thing, my question is not necessarily it's going to have an effect right away, but is there something you can come back to and say Zillow is not accurate? Or maybe realtors have been saying that for years. Zillow isn't necessarily accurate. Well, I think, you, I think you have to begin by looking at the county data um, and making sure it is accurate. Everything Zillow has in some states, Zillow has access to much greater detailed information than they do in Georgia. Georgia is not unique, but is in the minority of states in that the county information, the county records are controlled on a county by county basis. So for example, you can go to the Cobb County records, which I know you've done, and you can look up your house and it'll have all the information about your house, right? Right. Right. Um, there are about, we got 159 counties in Georgia. I think about a third of them do not have publicly available computerized records. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> well, these are mostly the smaller population counties. You know, we've got a county named something like Buchanan County where there actually are more cows than there are people. And, <laughs> and while that's a wonderful thing, uh, you know, they don't see a real need to invest in a system. Well. The Georgia Department of Revenue has been encouraging Georgia counties for years to digitize and to share information with the state, but we still don't have a, a easily accessible statewide county tax digest, which is insane. And it's just because the counties have reserved unto themselves and the legislature has allowed this, the right to maintain that data. If you went to the county, could you get it? Yes, it's public information. Is it easily obtainable? No. And that is why Zillow in some states is much more... Um, accurate, if you will, in its sort of predictions. And you'll notice that in the last year or two, 
they have started going from a single number to a range. They, they used to just give you a number. And now they say, in addition to, they do give you a number, but then they say range and it's 50,000 below and 50,000 above. Let me show you what we as realtors use. You ready? Yep. I hope everybody can see this. Good. Um, this is called Realtors Property Resource. And this is a, um, a predictive artificial intelligence, theoretically better than Zillow. Now, I think Zillow would say, ha, ah, probably not. But nonetheless, this is called Realtors Property Resource. I'm going to have to log in here. I'm not going to show you my password. Ha ha. And uh, this allows you to look at every residential property in the country, every commercial property in the country. And I'm going to show you one. Let's see here. How about 3270 Liberty Commons? Here it is. Let's just take a look and see what they say. Now this, look at this, their RVM, which is their realtor valuation model was 312,880. And this is the house that I bought through, uh, had a Peter Burke uh, mortgage on it 20 years ago and it closed for $345,000. So the, one, this shows you the strength of the market right now. And this allows you, unlike Zillow, this allows you to change the estimate for the property by looking at individual features and saying, I think the backyard is worth an extra $3,000. I think the condition of the property is worth, it's in excellent condition rather than just good condition. So you can go in and refine the value on 500 different features. And in addition to that, you can also go in and select which comparable sales you think apply in this situation. And I will share with you that on this well, John, particular, before, go, go ahead, Ian. Before you, I, I tell me if I'm right on some of these takeaways, but before you do something else, I see big value there. First of all, if the RVM was 312 and it sold at 345, that, like you said, is the strength of the market, as well as they're telling you we didn't create the extra $30,000, the market did. But we're telling you, we think it's worth 312. Now, next week, using that as a comp or next month, they might revise their, their, their number and that would be appropriate. But at the time it was done, is that an appropriate analysis right there? Absolutely. And you can see right down here, let me zoom in just a little bit if I can. There we go. Yes, it was updated 11.2, and it was closed at 11.8. So right. even at this the time is, of closing. Yeah, I mean, this is great. They're telling you 
Yeah. And, and um, it's interesting because this house fit exactly the target of people like Invitation Homes and people like BlackRock and these investors that are just snapping things up. And this was an all-cash transaction. There was never any loan approval. Um, they waived, they, they didn't have an inspection and blah, blah, blah. Oh, they did have an inspection, but they, you know, they asked for a few things and I said, sure. And, but the house is less than 20 years old. It is in generally very good condition. It's, as you can see, three bedroom, three bath, which is what they're looking for. And it's about eight, 1900 or 2000 square feet which is what their target is. Um, and this house just fits exactly what those institutional investors are looking for. Um, and but the, the second takeaway, John, going to that uh, uh, alter the number, was a refine the value. To me, a lot of people are lazy, but at least they're giving you a button to change it. They're saying, okay, based on the information that we have, it's 312,880. But if you go out there and have a reason why to change it, here's the way you can change it and get a more accurate estimate. I see huge value there. Uh, oh, is, there is. is. The right there there is. And this is as close to performing a legal appraisal as I've ever been. Um, Scott Murphy, our friend at DS Murphy and Associates, who is also chairman of the uh, Georgia Appraisal Commission or Georgia Appraisal Board of the Real Estate and Appraisal Board, um, I think has had access to this type of software for many years. Now it is available to local realtors. My question is, what percentage of them use it? This is a, frankly, a pretty complex tool. Not only, for example, let's say you and I went out there and we found out that it had a full basement. And the records, the, the county never knew there was a full basement. Maybe the county inspector, when it was being built, went out there and the builder said, no, 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 no basement on this one. And then he decided later to put a full basement in. Um, the county didn't know it, so it's not included in the Zestimate, but you and I get there and we would refine the value by adding a full basement, which wouldn't be on a per square foot basis as much as the, the finished area, but nonetheless would add value to the property. Likewise, one, likewise, once we find out the house has a full basement, that's going to change the comparable sales that we select because what we're trying to do in an estimate of value is put ourselves in the shoes of the typical buyer. And if a typical buyer looks at this house and it has a full basement, he's going to be comparing it with similar homes that have full basements. And guess what? That is what's going to boost up this RVM number. And you can prove it with refined value and then a 
comparable sale analysis. So I, I think it's, you're right. It's, it's very interesting. Look at this. Even though it's close to 345, the um, RVM range only went to 335. And they made your, go ahead. You're doing a great job for your clients, apparently, or yourself, because you're, the, the software is saying it's lower. It looks like you had it on the market for 34 days. You're a good entrepreneur or free enterpriser. Went with a higher price. Some somebody decided they'll pay way over the market, thirty thousand dollars over the market, and John Adams took it. Thank you for having <laughs> this program. Yeah, I'm not going to say no if somebody wants to give me a ten percent bonus. <laughs> but uh, again, um, my house indicator that we've lived in for thirty years. It was built in 1937 no instant buyer would ever make an offer on that house. One, it's way too high priced. And two, it was built in 1937. And that's not the target. My house is 3,000 square feet. They don't want a house that size. My house is old. They want a house that has um, um, new, relatively new systems, and lots of insulation. My house has no insulation except what I've put in it. And, and so the reason I think this was a perfect storm was that it was right in the target range. Also, it was in Cobb County, which, as you know, is a very desirable place in terms of uh, seeing property, um, you know, a, a nice place to live. It had a homeowners association. Front yard maintenance was included. Just, just a lot of, a lot of good features. So, overall, this has been a good house for me. How about that? Looks great, John. Congratulations on the sale, and uh, we're learning from somebody who's actually doing it this month. That, that's wonderful. That's right. Well, I just wanted you to see the the tool. I would venture to say, Ian less than 10% of agents actually use this tool because there are competing tools that are much less complex and don't take all of these variables into consideration. And I, I think it would be very interesting to, um, to talk with Scott Murphy, you and I ought to do that one day, have him as our special guest and talk with him um, about um, tools that his appraisers have access to and how the information age has really changed that. Uh, do you remember the Challenger disaster? Yes. I, I don't remember what year that was, but I will never forget where I was. I was in the DeKalb board of realtors library researching property values and the librarian whose name was fran who was a friend of mine she came out in tears and she said oh john there's been an accident and i thought she meant an automobile accident or something and she had a um, television in one of their conference rooms that they used for learning and we sat there together and watched the coverage of it, which was just horrific. But 
the, that is when all of this was on a manual basis. You had to go to a place that had these records and assemble it yourself and then go out and look at the houses because there were no pictures of the houses. There was nothing like Google street view at that time. Um, so it's very interesting, but, uh, well, I think you just said so much there because, uh, back in the day, George Aria had computers and you would walk into the lobby. That's and right. They had four, five, they had computers. You can go on and jump in and try to get your comps and look how far we've come with the tools. And, and I think the Zillow example and the theme of today is here we are with Zillow overdoing it. But I think we can all learn that real estate is local. I think it still requires shoe leather and doing your own due diligence and not getting too excited. I mean, there's so much takeaways. There's, certainly the tools are much better. Oh, that's fantastic. But I do think Zillow got ahead of themselves. By the way, I just looked this up on Wikipedia and I'm stunned. That was 1986. Right. That was a long, long time ago. Um, and uh, certainly it was a, a sad day for uh, America and uh, very, very difficult to watch that and, and see it happen. But nonetheless, uh, it, it, uh, that day is just etched in my memory that I was there at the DeKalb Board Library. And you're exactly right. I remember when George Aria had those computers and had to go to a lot of trouble to join uh, to get that data because it was not widely available. You remember that? Right. And it was a big benefit for a guy like me who wasn't a realtor. So now I had information that I usually would not have been able to get to, but I still had to come in the office. I couldn't do it at my own desktop. One more thing about Zillow, John, with one of the articles that we were uh, passing back and forth this week was um, Zillow is actually now making offers in Georgia. It was interesting. The, the article I read, read, two of the three people they mentioned were talking about. So Zillow is offering this couple $3,200 to get out of their contract. Basically, we'll, you can walk away. We'll give you $3,200 that we don't buy your house. And I think they're just trying to stop the bleeding and some common sense has come in. And, and, and I think it's just a great takeaway for all of us that there's value on what we're doing. We might lose some deals because they're faster or somebody else thinks there's value. But I think if we're long-termers, it's worth doing the, the due diligence. I, you are exactly right. What a great takeaway. And, the other thing that, that I would like for you and me to explore is if you and I can nail down the target that these iBuyers, they, they have a specific target they're looking for, okay? We may not be able to compete with them on a dead center match, but guess what? Once you get to the, the periphery um, on a house that's slightly outside of their target, that might be a good deal. Not only that, there's less competition. Exactly. Totally. Exactly. 
Because, buddy, I don't do well with a lot of competition. I lose and lose and lose because I won't get, in, won't get into a bidding match. Finally, before we leave, I want to remind you, Ian, this is the first year hearing about it. Ian, I want you and your lovely wife, who I have not met, but I feel like I know because she and a good friend of mine worked together for many years on a local publication. Um, I want to invite you guys to come with us on the, I'm calling it the real estate marketers cruise, because um, we're going to be, um, uh, Peter Burke said he's thinking about coming and Margie's going to be teaching some things. I'm going to be teaching some things. I'd love to have you and your bride come and y'all can teach some things as well. It's going to be Saturday, January 28th to Sunday, February 5th. We're going to set sail from Miami. 23. Margie said 23, not 2022. So what is this? A year and two months away. Right. A year and two months. In fact, almost exactly tomorrow, a year and two months away. Uh, and we're going to go to San Juan. St. Thomas, St. Martin, and Amber Cove. And Ian, I predict that you will gain 10 pounds. And Sean, where is Amber Cove? It's interesting. Uh, I'll tell you very quickly. Um, during the pandemic, Carnival Cruise Lines, which owns almost all the other cruise lines, got tired of paying people got tired of being ordered around by the CDC and the CDC said, you can't open, you can't sail. And CDC and, and Carnival said, that's what you think. And they started leaving from places like St. Martin and there weren't enough places to go because they couldn't go to Miami or San Juan or St. Thomas or Virgin Islands because all of those are U.S., so they went to the Dominican Republic and said, we will give you $75 million wow. if, you, if you will sell us a cove near a quaint little town. And we're going to build out a port there, and it will be private property. And we're going to sell condominiums there, and we're going to have excursions for all of our people, and every Carnival cruise ship is going to stop at Amber Cove. And it's, we went there. Ian, it's beautiful. It was only $75 million. I mean, you could afford that, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so, so the, the uh, Dominican Republic took the deal. Is that about right? Did they, that's right. Did they that's right. So, so let's everybody think about this. Um, um, we're going to be talking more about it this coming week, but we are going to be having real estate investment sessions on the mornings of the days at sea and then fun in the sun, networking dinners, parties, special events. I love this formula. 30% work, 70% play, and 100% fun. How about that? Great marketing. Yes. You're not kidding. All right. Uh, that's it, folks. And so what that means is we need to go to, let's see, first I got to present, then I got to do this. And that didn't work, did it? Daggone it. Ah, there it is. All right, guess what?
I'm not hearing you. Oh, got to turn it up. That's a 3-0 Mark IV. <laughs> uh, on behalf of Ian Robbins, I'm John Adams reminding you your financial future is not a matter of chance. It's a matter of choice. Make your choice a good one. So long, everybody. Yeah.